Hey friends, Chaz here, and I want to let you know that the Kingdom Roots podcast is brought to you by Northern Seminary, where we believe a seminary education can help you lead your church to engage the world. That's why one of our favorite things to do at Northern is to open up all of our classes for a day for you to come and experience, whether you're just wondering what seminary is like or seriously considering enrolling, we're opening up all of our classes on February 24th to a taste of Northern. You could join me in the class I'm currently attending with my cohort on New Testament theology with Dr. Rondi Reeves or a number of other classes. To not miss out on this incredible opportunity, go to seminary.edu forward slash taste to learn more and sign up. Hope to see you on class on February 24th. Welcome to the Kingdom Roots Podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today on the podcast, we have a conversation about a culture of wisdom. Well, Scott, can you believe this is our last conversation on Pastor Paul? Uh, what have been some of your favorite moments in this conversation that we've, this well, running conversation we've been having? My favorite com- uh, topic has been the fact that you've stuck to it. <laughs> Coming back to the, uh, to the computer to uh, create these podcasts. So I, I want to say how much I appreciate that because mm. I'm always fussing that I'd rather be translating the new testament and <laughs> doing podcasts and you know that side of this uh, whole endeavor but yeah. uh, how's that going by the way how's the second um, testament coming along going it's going well i i did uh, a chapter and a half today i'm in the middle of of acts chapter 21 and because of the order i'm doing these things in i'm uh, somewhere around about 65 percent done and having a good time. Uh, Luke, Luke in the book of Acts has some 350 words that occur only one time in the entire oh, wow. Testament. So there's lots of words that are unusual. And it's not easy. I mean, you, you read First uh, John or the Gospel of John, and there's a, a heavy use of the same words. Uh-huh. You read Luke in, in Acts especially, and you find lots of words that you've... Uh, that don't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. And that means you have to uh, multiply the vocabulary that is found in the English translation. So Mm. I'm trying to uh, mirror that sort of vocabularic expansion that is found in Luke's own writings. Well, we'll have to do a podcast and come back. And then we've done a couple already as we've uh, chronicled your journey on that. But today we're on a culture of wisdom. And like I said, this is our final one. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the others, uh, each of them are kind of standalone, but they do go in a, a bit of a progression. I would encourage you to go back and to listen to the other parts of the series, as well as grab Scott's book, Pastor Paul. Uh, this is just kind of an add-on conversation to that material in there. Um, but in this book, in Culture of Wisdom, you start off the chapter by saying, wisdom in the church is being ignored because of juvenilization. Uh, would you tell us more about what you mean by that and what led you to this conclusion about what juvenilization is going on in the church? Yeah, the um, he, here's the way to, to look at it, is that we don't really have a wisdom culture 
So when we encounter people who are wise, we go, wow, I'm not around people like this very often. Mm. Well, Thomas Bergler, a professor, I think he's at Bethel University in Mishawaka, Indiana. And if I'm wrong on that, someone can make a comment on the blog and, and correct that. But uh, Thomas Bergler mapped what he calls the juvenilization of the church. And he's talking about the evangelical church. And um, there's no reason for me to try to go through all that he talked about. But um, in the 1930s and 1940s, uh, there was a movement toward euthanization in the church culture where, where uh, the church wanted to reach young people. He said, he said there are three um, factors, a new and more powerful youth culture that created distance between adults and adolescents was forming in American culture, especially after World War II. A second is that Christian adults adapted the faith to adolescent tastes. And then the third was uh, the journey into adulthood became longer. Now, I'll give you an example of this, Jess. When I was in high school, with the hippie generation in the 1960s and 1970s. Suddenly we were using these little slogans like uh, the peace sign and peace comes with Jesus. And we were so cool. And I remember my youth pastor saying he didn't think it was reverent for us to be putting pictures of Jesus on stickers on the back of our car that would fade with the sun. And uh, when we think we hear people say that today, we go, Oh, how weird. Yeah. But this was a, uh, this was the beginning and the encroachment of a juvenile or a youth or an adolescent culture on the church. The church wanted to be so relevant that whatever was, you know, if, uh, if Pepsi or if Coca-Cola was cool, uh, and I think they had a uh, Coke makes every Coca-Cola makes everything better. So we used the same image and said, Jesus makes everything better. And it was that uh, it was that that began a process where now suddenly pastors were dressing like teenagers. And we were singing teenage worship songs or whatever you want to call. It. We didn't call them worship songs at that time. Um, we were singing those songs like Pass It On in Sunday morning services. And suddenly we were having debates about whether guitars and drums should be on the platform mm -hmm. on church on Sunday. This is what Thomas Burglar is going after. Now, these are symptoms. And Burglar, I don't, I don't remember him hardly ever talking about drums and guitars, but that was part of it. Uh, that was a part, a manifestation of the culture that was forming. What Burglar is concerned about is that being cool and being hip uh, became more important than being godly and being wise. That that our role models were to be as young for as long as possible, rather than to grow up and be mature adults. Uh, and I often have told my students that. In the ancient world, to be old was to be wise and to be valued. 
in our culture, frankly, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who are old in our churches, senior citizens who feel devalued. Yeah. That what is most interesting is what's newest and what's youngest. And so what I began to do is ponder this question of a wisdom, uh, or this, the question of the uh, pursuit of a wisdom culture. And I actually have a D-Min class that's going to meet next June. And for a week, we are going to discuss wisdom culture hmm. and how that can impact our churches today. Hmm. So um, I think that we need, we need to ponder again what the Bible says about wisdom. And not because I have some kind of bone to pick about youth culture. I, I coached high school basketball. Um, and I coached college students and being cool was cool. And I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but I do think that the process of sometimes of being cool or hip or relevant, you know, that's the name of a magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, good old Stanley Hauerwas would say the, the most relevant thing the church can be is irrelevant to culture. That's a fascinating point. Wisdom is something we need to pursue. And so what I did, this, is, this was fascinating to me. I, I started investigating the scholarship on wisdom in the Apostle Paul, and I discovered two things. Now, Scott, before you jump into that, I'm, I'm curious with this whole juvenilization concept, do you think this is a unique challenge the church is facing today? And maybe more specifically, the American church in our whole American culture that focuses very much on the juvenilization and of whatever's new and hip and, and all of that? Or is this something that the church has faced before in other expressions in other ways? Well, I don't know about I don't know about the whole world, obviously, mm-hmm. but I know the American culture is the leading uh, uh, the leading car mm-hmm. in the uh, relevancy uh, set of categories. I've been in um, I've been in some church cultures and around the world uh, that are a lot like America. I think Australia was that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, at least the Australia that I experienced, which is a narrow part, and I think the um, I thought the culture of South Africa was uh, decidedly more wisdom oriented. Hmm. Um, and I've been in Denmark and um, I think it's a pretty balanced culture. I've been in the United Kingdom and I think there's a lot of youth culture going on there. But I, I, it's not that I don't think uh, being relevant is valuable because I do think it is. But yeah. I, I don't want that to be at the expense of losing wisdom. So. Right. And even historically, though, it hasn't necessarily been the same challenge that the church in America and by extension in other places is feeling right now. I I agree with that. I think that we're the leader leader on this and we're more extreme. And what's happened since the 1940s in the United States is relatively, I, I would say, almost completely different than anything that had formed in church cultures before. No, that's fascinating. So you went back and you you were saying how you you get you um, found two things, two main themes. Yeah. I uh, I investigated the uh, let's say Paul and wisdom as a theme, and I found two things. One is that almost everything written on Paul and wisdom is about Christology, and this is valuable for wisdom, but it's insufficient. 
and that is it was about Christ as the wisdom of God. So is Colossians 1 hymn about wisdom? Jimmy Dunn said the, the hymn in Philippians 2 touches on wisdom. So, so it becomes Christology, but that's not what I was looking at. I was looking at wisdom culture, and what is a wisdom culture? When you go to the book of Proverbs, or you go to uh, Jesus ben Sirach, Ecclesiasticus, intertestamental or uh, post-biblical Jewish literature, and you find uh, wisdom culture. You find in the Dead Sea Scrolls value for age. You find in the early church value for age. Um, and think about this. Let no one devalue your youth. Paul talks about Timothy, right? Mm-hmm. In our culture today, it would be flipped. Mm-hmm. Don't let anyone devalue your senior citizen status because we value, and in Paul's world, they valued age. In our world, we value lack of aging. Mm-hmm. So people don't want to get wrinkles. They don't want their hair to go gray. They don't want to go bald. The other day I was driving home from Northern, and I, I must have seen 10 advertisements for Brian Hairlocker. Erlocker, the linebacker, because he got some kind of hair replacement thing or something. But there was just one commercial after another. I thought, wow, this is this is big. So, um, so the one thing I found is it was connected to uh, Christology. The second was the almost total absence of a study of what a wisdom culture looked like in the Pauline churches and in Pauline theology. So my chapter. Paul and Wisdom, in many ways, is an exploration, an experiment of thinking about this topic. Um, And I was able to draw on other people, but mostly uh, no one packages this in the context of culture. So So one of the things that I know, Paul, you just said his first thing is the the Christ wisdom, but often it's in opposition and opposed to worldly wisdom. Uh, how would you further define this difference and how you see churches being tempted by worldly wisdom and Paul's language and understanding of it versus the wisdom of Christ? Well, Chaz, in your notes that you gave to me, I, I want to quote Ellen Davis. Yeah. Wisdom is living in the world in such a way that God and God's intentions for the world are acknowledged in all that we do. Wisdom is living in as God's people, in God's world, in God's way. And God's way is the cross, the gospel pattern of Jesus's Christoformity. So for Paul, wisdom is Christoformity. Mm. And so Paul contrasts. Christ wisdom, which is the wisdom of Christoformity, with worldly wisdom, because worldly wisdom is so self-centered, it is so self-absorbed, it is so concerned with honor and glory and reputation and fame and being put up with uh, medals and monuments. And Paul says, no, Christ wisdom is to live a life of sacrifice and self-denial for the sake of others and for their redemption, for their uh, transformation. And that is ultimate wisdom in our world. And so we need to subject our theology 
to wisdom. And uh, I'm always interested in how systematic theologians package systematic theology. Because I've often wondered what would systematic theology, what would a one-volume systematic theology look like if the central idea of theology is wisdom? Hmm. Sophia in Greek, Hokma in Hebrew. What what does theology look like if it is uh, obsessed with growing in wisdom? So uh, I think Paul subverts worldly wisdom with a Christoform wisdom that looks completely different than the way the Corinthians and the Romans were living. So I think as we think, like, I'm just trying to run my mind through today's world and and really going a lot back to your comments on the juvenilization of a society and culture and how we value what's new and, and all of that. What do you think the impact of the different ways we now have access to information? Like, I, I, I may be off, but I feel like so much of our devaluing of wisdom through age and and people who has been around the block more that we don't value that as much because I can just get on my cell phone and and Google it and find the answer. Whereas I would have maybe had to call somebody or ask somebody or go to a library or, or, or do something that would have taken more time from somebody who has been around longer, who has wisdom. What do you think the way in which we consume information now has an impact on the wisdom culture that we can or, or don't have in the church? Well, that's a good question because in the, in the Bible, knowledge, or in the ancient world, knowledge and what we would call information um, was in, is, is involved in the forming of wisdom. But wisdom is bigger and better and more comprehensive, and it's a different package. So knowing a lot is not the same as being wise. Um, J.I. Packer said something similar to this when he said, knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. And knowing truth is wisdom. Knowing how to articulate truth is knowledge. And so I believe that what we need to focus on is wisdom. The, the other thing is, wisdom is more comprehensive. It's about discerning how to live in God's world as God's people in God's way in this moment in time in which we live and dwell and have our being, to quote Paul, quoting uh, a pagan writer. So I, I really do think that it would be a hundred percent better for us if we began to uh, package theology in terms of wisdom, and if we began to see wisdom as the the full orb, mature Christoformity that it is, that allows us to reshape what goes on in our churches and in our our personal lives. Uh, we ask the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to preach? What does it mean to sing? What does it mean to choose songs? What does it mean to follow the lectionary? What does it mean to preach a series? If Christoformity 
and wisdom are the fundamental aims mm. and structures upon which or through which we structure what we're doing. I, I, I think we have a lot of, of places to work here, but here's Chaz, this is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I heard this the first time from John Ortberg many years ago when he told the people who worked with him uh, at Willow Creek at the time that every one of them needs to have a seminary professor or two that they can write to for um, recommendations for reading and for growing. And they each one of them also needs a senior pastor or leader, uh, an older person with gray hair to whom they can go and talk and learn the ways of wisdom. I believe that we have to turn the value upside down to value senior citizens in our churches if we are going to start forming into a wisdom culture. Now, I want to emphasize this. Age is not a correlate necessarily with wisdom. Some people are old fools. Mm. And some people are prematurely wise. I know, I know people in our church who are young, who are very wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know too many. I won't go there. Uh, but I, I don't know, you know too many older people right now to me that, that I encounter are foolish. But um, I do think we need, we need to subvert the relevance culture by valuing senior citizens. And this doesn't subvert... Um, age, and it doesn't push young people off the platform or out mm-hmm. of the conference room. Rather, it, it says we need, uh, we need youth to be balanced with age, and we need age to be balanced with youth. Right. These things, I think, will help us grow in a wisdom culture. And, mm-hmm. and I, I see this in the pages of the Bible where we value one of the leaders of the church was elders. Now, you know that word elder means elder. That word means older people in the church, but it, it is not because they're old. It's because they're wise, mm. and we need we need the experience of wisdom, the wisdom of experience, to be guiding us. Um, I I have friends that I can call. Now I'm starting to get a senior citizen. I am a senior citizen. <laughs> uh, I have friends that I can call if I have questions. Who have more experienced than I do and they can help me and they will subvert foolish foolishness on my part to try to do something for the first time when they say, no, this has already been done. Here's the way it works. That's what we need more of in our churches. It's not, I don't want to get into a battle of old versus young. I want to get to a, a quest for wisdom of the old guiding and mentoring the growing wisdom of the younger. How about that? That's putting it all in positive category. Yeah, absolutely. And I think those who are wise uh, have a thirst for knowledge or information, more wisdom, which they also, they, they, they seek the younger generation. Like they seek to continue to learn from those who are younger. So Scott, I would be curious um, just to hear when you think of somebody who's wise, who are the first people that come to your mind? Well, in my life, uh, and I don't have access to him as, anymore the way I did, uh, the first person that I met that I thought 
was the ultimate form of Christian wisdom was Murray Harris, who was a teacher of mine at Trinity when I was a student and then uh, uh, was at Tyndale House when I was doing my PhD and then came back to Trinity and was my colleague. And I valued Murray Harris. Um, um, I value my pastor on all things Anglican and all things church. Uh, Jay Greener has wisdom about how churches work, about how the Anglican church works. He's patient. He's cautious. Um, I'd like to see some things change. And he knows that these kinds of things, these kinds of changes occur, have, have to occur organically or they are imposed. And that's really wise. And so I value, I value the wisdom of, of my pastor. There are people in our church uh, that I value, like Kevin Van Hooser and Graham Cole and other colleagues like Dana Harris, um, who have experience in doing things that sometimes I ask questions about. So uh, those are the people that, um, that I talk to. I talked to Mike Glenn, a pastor friend of mine in Brentwood, um, at Brentwood Baptist in Nashville. Uh, and I, I've, I've said to him a number of times, I, I don't like to read, um, and this is a bias, uh, but I think I'm right. I don't like to read books about pastoring by young people. I like to read books about pastoring by people who've pastored for a long time and learned wisdom and done it well. So I like to read Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of these, um, and I quote a lot of these people in the book, uh, a number of pastors who have written books like this, a new book about preaching by Roy Honeycutt, Sunday Comes Every Day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um is a wonderful book by someone who's been preaching for a long time. I like to read Tom Long. I like to listen to Fleming Rutledge. These are people who are thinkers, theologically astute people who through pastoral experience and life's experiences have grasped wisdom and we can learn from them. So I just plead with uh, our listeners to start thinking about wisdom culture and to find gray hairs and bald heads that they, or people with gray hairs who've colored their hair, uh, uh, find those people and drink from their wells and listen to them. Uh, Wise people don't tell you what to do. Wise people help you to see the wise thing to do. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's the tweetable quote <laughs> of the day, and um, uh, really the good place to end. So, unless Scott, do you have any closing thoughts? Any wise words? I guess I, I, I sh- could I say to send us words. away with. <laughs> I had the wisest word I had all day right there at the end. All right, I agreed. That sounds good. And um, man, this is. I, I thank you for sticking with this on the the Pastor Paul series. It's been fun to to work through this and and think through. Uh, what it could look like to have a culture that is Christoform um, that needs all of these different elements of different cultures, whether it's wisdom, world subversion, world subversion, or the many others that we talk about. So thanks, Scott, for leading us through this. Well, thank you, Chaz, mm-hmm. for going through it. And we'll look forward to a new topic as we get down the road here.
All right. Sounds good. Thanks again, our listeners. Thanks for joining us today. We're grateful as always to have you. And hopefully this series of conversations has been helpful as you think through what it looks like to lead in the different contexts that you're in and for the the kingdom to take root because that's what it's all about. So um, we look forward to be with you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now.